I've been repeating this phrase through the course of this month. The one thing is to keep the one thing the one thing. And that's really what I I, want to drive home about Christmas. The one thing is to keep the one thing the one thing. Jesus was talking to Martha in Luke chapter 10. And he, he said, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. The one thing is to keep the one thing the one thing. And we're going to look today at how Jesus is the one and only. The one and only. Now, I have to admit to you that there are some things in Scripture that I understand their theological basis. I understand the why, but the how escapes me sometimes. And, the, and we're at one of those times. We're going to talk about Jesus being fully man and fully God, and how, why he had to be in order for our salvation to work. But I have to tell you that, that I'm stuck here as a man in flesh, battling the Spirit of God in me like every one of you, and so the mechanics of this are beyond me. I can understand, and and we will explain today the theological purpose. We will explain the why, but the how escapes me. I, I can't tell you that I understand it, because so much heresy has come from this idea. So much heresy has come from the idea of of Christ being fully man and fully God. Thomas Aquinas or, or Aquinas said that Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. Now, we like to bifurcate Jesus. We like to say, well, that was the God part that did the, the uh, miracles, and that was the man part that wept or was hungry or was thirsty. But we can't do that. We, we can't make, make him into two Jesuses. He's Jesus. He's 100% God, 100% man, 100% of the time. And, and I, as I said, so much heresy has come from this. Uh, one, one theologian named Arius came up about 300 A.D. He came up with how to explain Jesus by, by creating a new category. He said he, wasn't, he was better than man, but he wasn't quite God. So he, he made a new, caric- a, a new category. That's where Jesus fits, is between man and God, sort of uh, better than man, but not quite God. That's that's where he put him, and and so much heresy has come from that. There are still Arian philosophies today that greater than regular man, but not quite God. We we see that Arian philosophy happening through history and in our world still today. uh, We've talked about the Gnostics. The Gnostics have said that, that Jesus was fully God, but he wasn't fully man because, well, well mankind, flesh is, is evil. And so he can't be fully man. He can be fully God, but he can't be fully man. That, and that's an Aryan philosophy. Uh, there are also those who have said he was a great prophet. He was a great teacher. He was, great, he was a great man, but he wasn't God. Again, trying to create a new category. But Thomas Aquinas had it right. 100% God, 100% man, 100% of the time. We can't bifurcate our Savior, our Lord. We can't make him into two. This is who he is. 
Now the why, we'll see today. The how, I'll let you struggle with that as I struggle with it. So let's take a look at at some of the prophecies that talk about this concept that make Jesus the one and the only. The first one's Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, in this, in this context, Isaiah is talking to Ahaz. And Ahaz, God has, has said, ask me for any sign and I'll show it to you. And Ahaz says, no, I don't want to see this. God is talking to the house of Israel. God is saying, this will happen. This will be your Messiah. The Messiah will come from a virgin. And Matthew 1, and 23 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So the book of Matthew specifically applies this, this prophecy in Isaiah to Jesus. The one and only. Now, this uh, you may have heard, you may have read that this idea of born of a virgin, this Hebrew word for virgin, they say is just for young man or maiden. It doesn't actually mean someone who is who who, who has never been sexually active. It means a young woman or a, a maiden, not necessarily someone who has been, not been sexually active. But I'm afraid what they're doing is they're looking with 21st century eyes at a 7th century B.C. passage. Because in that time, a young woman, a young unmarried maiden, was sexually inactive. Now I know we can't expect that today. It's God's plan, but we can't have that expectation today. But it was the expectation then. If you want proof, think about even in the time when Jesus is born, when Mary finds out she is pregnant... Joseph has the, the, has the choice of stoning her to death or putting her away quietly. So a, a young woman, unmarried, was a virgin in this time. And certainly all the way to the time of Jesus' birth. That was expected. And in fact, it was enforced by the death sentence. So, so those that say this word doesn't mean that, are looking, or have today's expectations looking backwards 700 years before the birth of Christ. They're not, un, they're, they're not realistic about their expectations there. And so, this prophecy specifically says that Jesus will be, that the Messiah, Jesus, will be born of a virgin. Why? Why a virgin? Well, Romans 5, Paul tells us that we inherit... The, the sin nature of Adam. We have this sin nature that comes down through Adam. In Genesis 3, what does God tell Eve? God tells Eve, your offspring will crush the head of the serpent. Your offspring. Not, not Adam and Eve's, just Eve's. Why? Because this sin nature cannot fall to the Messiah. The sin nature of Adam cannot fall to the Messiah. So he has to be, uh, he has to be sinless. 
And that's only possible with a, with a child born from God and a woman, leaving the man out. It's only possible to not have that sin nature if it's a virgin. Also, we, we just have the, uh, the idea of the, the Goel Redeemer, the family Redeemer. It's in Ruth, it's Boaz, and, and this family Redeemer must be a cl- part of the clan in order to save the clan. He must be part of the family in order to save the family. So for Christ the Messiah to save mankind, he must be man. He must be. He must be part of the clan. But he has to be sinless. Now, sinless because if he had the sin nature that you and I are born with, then then he can only die for his own sin. He can't die for ours. So he must be born of a virgin to be a man without bringing the sin, sin nature in, and born of God so that he maintains sinlessness, because only God is sinless. So we have this idea in, in, as, that starts in Isaiah 7.14 that he must be born of a virgin in order to be the perfect sacrifice. He must be born of the virgin in order to be man and God. 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. The one and only Messiah, the one and only Christ, Jesus. But there's another prophecy that even makes this clearer in Isaiah, and this is probably, my, without, without a doubt actually, this is my favorite Christmas verse, Isaiah 9-6. If you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 9-6, the first thing you're going to notice is... <clears throat> If you look at the beginning, for context, you look at the beginning of Isaiah, and it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So we have that theme of light that we looked at last week from Isaiah chapter 60. We have that same idea of light. And then he says this in Isaiah 9-6, For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, God, Everlasting, Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I love this prophecy of Christ. I love this for its prophecy. But I want you to notice a few things about this verse. The first one is that the child is born, but the son is given. Why is that? Because the child is born, but the son has pre-existed all creation. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus, that, that, that by him, for him, and through him, all things were made that were made. So Jesus pre-exists this child. The son pre-exists. John 1.1 tells us the word, the word was with God and the word was God. So we have the pre-existing son being born as a child. So we already have the idea of man, the child that's born, and God, the son that's given. And then if you, if you look at your, uh, at your Bible, I'll kind of hold mine up, you can see that this, is, this section here is, is uh, poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. And you can see that...
that most English translators do it this way. They, they, they shorten it up. You can see there's prose here and then poetry, and then it goes back to prose. You can see that it's, uh, it's specific. Now, Hebrew poetry is different than English poetry. What do we expect with English poetry? We expect it to rhyme, right? We want it to rhyme. And we expect kind of a, a cadence to it, right? We expect a tempo. Right? Think about hickory dickory dock. The mouse ran up the clock. We, we expect it to rhyme and we expect it to have this tempo. Well, Hebrew poetry has neither of those. So it's harder for us to understand. What Hebrew, has is, Hebrew poetry has is structure. It has A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A. It has a structure like that. That's the one that's most common in Scripture, and that's the one that's used here. So as we look at this poetry, we begin to see that even in the structure of, the, of what, what Isaiah says, we have both man and God. So he begins with wonderful counselor. Wonderful is a reference to God. It, the word literally means something that's supernatural, something above our understanding. Wonderful. But counselor is most often used in Scripture to, to talk about a man. The word's not used for God exclusively. It's used for man quite a bit. So we have, in wonderful counselor, we have God, man. Then we have mighty God. Mighty is used most often to describe man. God is certainly described that way, but if you think about your Old Testament, you, you've got mighty men and, and mighty warriors and the mighty men of Israel, and you have mighty ex, uh, being used to describe men more often than God. But the word God, that's Yahweh. That's only used for God. So mighty God tells us man, God. Everlasting Father. First of all, think about this. The child is born a father who's everlasting. Kind of a ironic. There's kind of a, a, a paradox there, isn't there? But everlasting is used of God because God, God is everlasting. And Father is most often used for man, the father, uh, father Abraham, the father of the nations, etc. So we have everlasting father, God, man. And then we have prince of peace. Now, prince is only used for man. Why? Because God's king. He's not a prince. He's king. And, and peace is used most often of God because it only comes from God. So Prince of Peace is man, God. So what you see in this is you see God, man, man, God. God, man, man, God. A, B, B, A. A, B, B, A. You see this structure. So in, this, in the structure alone of this verse, it's telling us that he will be 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. This is the one and only Christ. This is the one and only Messiah. The child that's born, man, 
the Son that's given God. The one and only. The Gospels continue to tell us that this is, Jesus is this Messiah. The one and only Messiah. My favorite verse in the Gospels that, that brings this point out is John 1.14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. The one and only. There has never been one like Him, and there never will be another like Him. 100% God, 100% man, 100% of the time. He had to be man in order to save mankind. But he had to be born of a virgin so that he didn't bring Adam's sin into the, himself. Because then he could have only died for his sin, not ours. He had to be God in order to be sinless, in order to be the perfect sacrifice. He had to be God. And so he had to be 100% man to save us. 100% God to save us 100% of the time. The one and the only Messiah, Jesus. That's what we celebrate in December. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, is the birth of the one and the only. And the one thing is to keep the one thing the one thing. This is our Christ. This is our Messiah. This is the one and only Savior of the world. That's what we celebrate at this time of year. Do you know the one and only Jesus? The only one that can save you. Do you know him? Because you can. I'm going to ask that you bow your head and consider for a moment the answer to the question, do I know this Savior? Do I know this one and only, fully God and fully man, Messiah? You can this morning in a simple prayer. We simply say, God, I know I have sin in my life. I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus, the one and only Jesus, came to save me. So I ask you to forgive me because of his finished work on the cross. And I ask you to come into my life, empower me to live. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor. Let them know. Can you commit to the one thing that Christmas is really about? The one thing is to keep the one thing the one thing. Father, keep us mindful of this verse. Keep us mindful of who Jesus is, the one and the only Christ and Messiah. Keep us mindful through this season that he's the reason. We ask in Jesus' name.
Amen.